Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a, a wonderful morning. Um, the sessions today were amazing, as they were yesterday, as they were Friday. And, uh, you know, we're, we're on the home stretch now. So without further ado, I'm really happy to introduce our keynote speaker, Aaron from Manhattan. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, everyone. Good morning. My name is Erin. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic, recovered for today, coming to you from Harlem, New York City, on land of the Wampinger and Lenape tribes. I came into the rooms of OA in February of 2012. And I have been abstinent, abstinent for seven years and four months. That means that for seven years and four months, I haven't hurt myself with food. And to the best of my ability, I haven't hurt myself with other substances, such as work and drama and relationships. These are things that can take me out of the stream of life, just like food, when I'm not spiritually fit. I can honestly say I am recovered for today because the need to engage in compulsive eating behaviors has been removed for me in these 24 hours alone. I don't know if I was born a compulsive overeater, but I always remember being a member of the Clean Your Plate Club. And I was often being told, Erin, you've had enough after seconds and thirds. As I got older, I would pick up food to push down feelings. I'd raid the fridge and sneak food from the bottom of the containers. I would hunt through the kitchen for snacks that wouldn't be missed. My bulimia started at 15 after surviving a severe sexual trauma. I became, began to obsess about foods and diets. I was constantly calculating my food and trying new ways to control my body. I often felt like my life was out of control. So I thought the only thing I could control was what went in and out of my mouth. But eventually I was binging and purging when I didn't want to be. I began to hurt myself with food, over-exercise, and negative self-talk. I was in an abusive relationship with myself. I remember my mom discovering my bulimia and getting my aunt, my favorite person in the whole world, to just hold my face and yell at me to stop purging, like that was going to help. I saw many therapists who 
didn't get it. One therapist said, binging and purging was like throwing my cash into the toilet and flushing. If only that numbed me out. But I was trying to numb out because I couldn't handle life alone. And I was trying to do it all alone. I thought I was supposed to have all the answers or else I was less than or dumb. I thought everyone else had all the answers. I would get into abusive relationships with partners who showed an interest in me. I said yes to marrying someone who punched me in the face and woke me up with a knife to my throat. Thankfully, my higher power was working hard and I got out of that relationship before any I do's and I jumped into a codependent relationship the very same day. But I was all I ever thought about and I would use people in my life. My sponsor likes to remind me that People-pleasing is people-using. I would use people for compliments, for comparing myself, and often as a way to not eat alone. By the time I'd eaten my way to 257 pounds, I had a baby, as I am a grateful birth mother, and then over-exercised my way down to 137 pounds. I didn't know what to do in a size four body. I was a 24 and all of a sudden I was a size four. I didn't know how to be seen by men. I didn't feel worthy and I felt enraged when I realized that I had been invisible before. I began to eat nonstop. I'd order enough food for a party and eat it all. I resented anyone in my life who knew or who commented on my body or who seemed concerned. Life had become my dark living room with only the food, the TV, and my secrets. I really didn't want to be in life anymore. I was 12-stepped by a fellow who saw my pain and decided to be of service by being vulnerable and rigorously honest. I haven't seen her since. When I came into the rooms, I didn't know what you all had, but I wanted it. I just wanted anything different than what I had, which I thought was just a weight problem. But I saw how recovered people in OA 
were all different sizes. And I saw that these people didn't have a weight problem because the food ceased to be a problem and therefore their weight became none of their business, which is the state I gratefully find myself in today. I came in and got a sponsor in my first few meetings because I was willing to keep coming back and willing to ask around for support. My first sponsor took me through the steps in the big book. I became willing to believe there were answers beyond my own understanding. I began to have a faith that those answers were at my disposal if I was willing to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of my higher power one day at a time. None of it was easy. Easy was never promised. In fact, it was specifically promised that it wouldn't be easy, but it was simple. One foot in front of the other, face front, shut up, show up, get honest, listen, pause, breathe, make a call, put the pen to paper, open the book and read get quiet, ask out loud, what do I think? What do I do? All these simple actions moved me into a state of grace and eventually into right thinking. I started committing my food to my sponsor and then eventually eating that food I stopped weighing myself 12 times a day and trusted the doctor's scale wouldn't be broken. I let go of looking perfect in my clothes, an impossible feat, and stopped changing my outfits five times every morning. I started smiling in the mirror and telling myself I loved me until I could believe it. I worked the steps every day. I went to meetings. I took service positions and went to fellowship. I made new friends in the fellowship. Frellos, they're my closest friends today. As I worked the steps in OA, I realized the principles of the steps were showing up in all corners of my life. I'd like to share with you how I work these 12 principles in all of my affairs today. The principle of step one is honesty. I had to learn how to be honest with myself before I could get honest with others. I'm no longer in denial about who I am. I'm not a piece of crap and I'm not the best of the bunch. I'm a bozo on the bus 
And I can be grateful for the balance. I don't lie to my sponsor and I don't lie to my friends. I don't even lie to strangers. I answer honestly when someone asks me how I'm doing. And to be honest, I'm still working on being honest, especially about my motives. It's something I seem to need a proverbial sponsee and sponsor mirror to see. But every time I see those opportunities to check my motives, I do over and over. The principle of step two is hope. I am powerless, not hopeless. Today, I see OA members in recovered states of mind and body. That means that they are currently free of the need to engage in compulsive eating behaviors. I used to think there's no way I'm going to these meetings for the rest of my life. And now I have hope that I will want what those recovered fellows have enough to keep coming to meetings for the rest of my life. At least for the rest of these 24 hours. These meetings are where I hear your experience of heartache and survival, of pain and growth. I'm inspired by your strength to keep coming back and continuing to do the work. This hope shows up in my life when, I, when things feel unbearable. This belief I have that if you can do it, I can do it. It's a gift of hope. This hope shows up because I have faith. That's the principle of step three. I can't be in fear and have faith at the same time. I read once, faith, F-A-I-T-H, means fear and insecurity, trust him or her, or just trust H-B. My higher power is an it. It surrounds me with love and gentleness at all times. And when I pray on my knees every morning and ask, what do I focus on today, God? What should I think? What should I do? I always get this warm feeling that everything will be okay, no matter what. That faith I have, I have to carry it with me because the minute I open my work email, nothing feels okay. So regular check-ins with my higher power, which comes in forms of phone calls from fellows, heart emoji text messages, how are you G-chat conversations, and all other reminders that I have a higher power who has my back. It keeps me remembering to have faith over fear. So I'm not saying I'm free of all fear, 
I'm just reminded to have faith quite regularly throughout my day. And that reminder often relieves my fear, at least momentarily. Step four is courage. It takes courage to have faith. I used to think that only weak-minded people had to have faith in God because they couldn't handle life by themselves. I was thinking this as I was eating whole cakes, by the way, clearly not handling life by myself very well. I was also arguing with people, selling Bibles, talking about repentance, like arguing loudly and angrily on the sidewalk that God did not exist. Funny to imagine that those compassionate, faith-filled folks were working with a prime example of how much God existed right in front of them. Today, I know it takes courage to be vulnerable, to be honest, and to do the thing I thought I could never do. A great example was last weekend when I did this ropes course with my best friend and literally had to walk a tightrope 25 feet in the air. If that didn't take faith, I don't know what does. But I did it with my OA practice. I prayed. I let go of fear of falling. I breathed deep and I put one foot in front of the other. It felt incredible. And I didn't fall, but even if I did, I knew it would be okay. And not just because I was tied in with a safety harness, but because I have faith that when I do fall, it will be okay. That's what I continue to learn over and over because I continue to forget it over and over. Step five is integrity. I can honestly say that I show up in integrity today. I have integrity at work because I'm honest when I make a mistake and I'm always looking to improve. I have integrity at home because I don't leave a mess wherever I go. Oh, I used to. For today, I keep my house and my room clean. Imperfectly, of course. It's all imperfect, by the way. It's just to the best of my ability. And that best changes from day to day. As long as I'm honest about that, I remain in integrity. Step six, the principle is willingness. For today, I am willing to do the things I don't want to do. I had to learn willingness and wantingness are two different things. I don't have to want to make my bed in order to make my bed. I don't have to want to shower or brush my teeth. 
I don't even have to want to work out. I have the willingness to do these things today and that's because I work a practical program of action. And I don't know how I am currently relieved of the desire to engage in compulsive food behaviors today, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with getting on my knees, meditating, sending pictures of my food to my sponsor, writing my step work, and reading it out loud. All I know is I don't have to know. I just have to do. I guess I know that if I don't do the things that work today, I'm in a really dangerous position because I know that left to my own devices, I will hurt myself with food. But even worse, I have to believe that this addiction I have is a grave disease. I have to believe that I can die from this disease of compulsive overeating. Sadly, I've been in the rooms just long enough to have experienced the loss of friends and fellows to this disease. It doesn't actually look like eating until I explode. It can look like dying from a heart attack in my sleep, like my friend Mike. It can look like developing diabetes and not being able to regulate my blood sugar levels while binging on sweets. It can look like restricting long enough to get dizzy when walking near a ledge. It can look like running out into the snowstorm, rushing to buy binge food and not looking both ways crossing the street. It can look like leaning over in the car while driving to reach that one last bite and swerving into another lane. Something I've done many times. This disease is more cunning than me. It baffles me and it's more powerful than me. That's why I need the willingness to rely on something bigger than me and my disease. The severity of my disease is what keeps me willing. Step seven is humility. Thank God for humility. Without it, I wouldn't learn a damn thing. I like to say in my shares, if I act as if I don't know, I just might learn something. Humility has helped me to get right-sized. I can't be humble and be the worst compulsive eater in the room. I can't be humble and be the smartest person in the work meeting. I can be one of many and grateful. Staying humble keeps me grateful for what I have and continuously working to better myself. Step eight is self-discipline. This didn't just come for me. I had to game the system. 
I know I have a built-in forgetter. So left to my own devices, I will forget to work out. I will forget to write my 10th step. I will forget to pray. I'll forget that I have a higher power. I'll even forget to eat a meal. I get ahead of my disease by setting reminders on my phone, by telling people what I'm gonna do so I can stay accountable. I write notes where I'll see them. I tell on myself and I take opposite action sometimes to get my body out of bed. When I wasn't getting up early enough to run in the morning before work, I asked my neighbor if I could run their dog as a job for 10 cents a day. I knew it would work. They thought it was a joke, but a year and a half later, that dog and I have run five days a week, three miles a day. And now I look forward to moving my body every morning. So when I do these things, my mind gets clear, my body feels lighter, and I begin to care more about the people in my life. It's funny how that works. Step nine is the principle of love. You all taught me how to love myself. You showed me love no matter what. You showed me how to forgive myself and others. I was able to treat myself the way I would treat my own little daughter. With that love came respect for my body. This is the same body that helped grow my son and deliver him. The same body that I wanted to cut pieces off with a knife when I'd stare into the mirror at my rolls and cellulite. Today, I'm not ashamed of any part of my body because I'm in acceptance, radical acceptance of it. This principle of love comes out of the practice of making amends. I had to change my behavior every time I made an amends. Every time I make an amends. That's including the living amends to myself. And because of this program, I was able to move in and out of increasingly healthier relationships. And in seven years of increasingly healthier relationships, I am overjoyed to say I got engaged a few weeks ago to a person I would have decided was too good for me eight years ago. I would have decided if he was into me, there must be something wrong with him. And I would have ghosted him or hurt him before I'd let him hurt me. Thank God for this principle, as I've learned how to deeply love with compassion and dignity in my relationship, 
because I truly love myself and have deep gratitude for my body today. Step 10 is perseverance. Step 10 in the big book talks about developing the vital sixth sense of a God consciousness. This awareness that I don't ever have to do anything alone. In fact, doing it alone is the only way to do this wrong. That is what encourages me to persevere when things feel hard and even impossible. Life never stops being tough. It just becomes manageable. If I know it will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end, then I can have the courage to persevere no matter what. Every day I write an A-E-I-O-U 10th step to my sponsor. I write my 24 hour plan, what I ate, what I will eat, what I did for exercise, what I will do for exercise, what I did for myself yesterday, what I will do for myself today, what I did for others yesterday, and what I will do for others today. I also write what I uncovered through my higher power in the last 24 hours. I write my present resentments, my dishonesty, my selfishness, and my fear. I write times that I say no because I'm a people user. And committed time I take to decompress because I'm an overdoer. I also write five gratitudes. This 10th step helps me to persevere throughout my day imperfectly, a minute at a time. Step 11 is spiritual awareness. I practice prayer and meditation every single day. God, what do I think about this? God, what do I do about this? Has got to be my go-to. I'm not here to figure anything out. I like to practice this on little things like, God, what sweatpants should I wear today? So that when the big things come, like last month when I got the biggest job offer in my life and I had to work every bit of my program around that decision, there was nothing to figure out. A fellow suggested I write a pro-pro list. Pro of staying, pro of going. I talked to my sponsor and my therapist about it. I talked with fellows and my fiance and I shared in meetings. The answer came because my own house was in order. The answer was not now. So I turned it down and my higher power kept the door open as I was told the job is mine whenever I want it. I'm aware of my higher power today 
because I decide it exists and I go find proof every day. Last but certainly not least is service. I have found that when I am being of service in a meeting or at intergroup or at region six or at world service, I feel useful. I know the service I'm doing is helping me as much as it's helping someone else. My sponsor used to tell me, if all I want to do is eat, pick up the phone, ask a fellow how they're doing and pretend as if I care. If I'm being of service, I'll get out of my head. The six inches between my ears where my dis-ease lives. It's a practical program of action. I must stay in action. There's a whole chapter about it. Being, because of the service that you all did today by showing up here, I was able to be of service at this convention. What an honor and a joy it is to be a member of this group that will have me as a member and will love me no matter what. I have so much further to go in my recovery from addictive behaviors, which requires more consistent spiritual fitness. But I am recovered in this moment as I have serenity and I do know peace. My problem with food has been removed for today. And that doesn't mean I can't relapse tomorrow. It just means for today, I can fully rely on God for everything I'm powerless over. People, places, and things, especially food. So I want to thank the convention committee for asking me to qualify for doing so much work on this incredibly successful convention and to Natalie for translating so beautifully. Thank you. The hardest part is not to hear the clapping and see the faces, but yes, I imagine that uh, we have 374 people you can't see, Erin, who are sending you their love. Kimberly, the chat is now open for supportive comments and the questions go in the Q&A. Just a reminder. Thank you. Chuck, are you up or am I up? You're up. I'm up. Okay, so thank you, Erin, again, for sharing your story. Um, we are very excited to have time for some questions. So please use the Q&A function to ask your questions. And uh, I'll be looking at them. You can type in French and English. Uh, I have Lynn Renee's help in translating them if I need it. And uh, the first question, Erin, is you used an acronym, A-E-I-O-U, for your 10th step. 
And could you please tell us what that stands for? Surely. Um, A stands for, well, I think some say abstinence, uh, some say ate, what I ate. So A is uh, the food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And some people have a possible snack. Um, what I ate the last 24 hours and what I will eat the next 24 hours, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And then E is exercise or movement on purpose. What I did the last 24 hours and the next. And I is what I did for myself and what I will do for myself. O is what I did for others, what I will do for others. So that's service in and out of the rooms. And you is what I uncovered through my higher power. Um, I have a sponsee who uh, just reads the for today and then writes on the for today as her you. Thank you so much, Erin. A question from Montreal asking how you handle major dis disappointments. Oh, see, I am learning that um, expectation is just teed up resentments. So when I show up with an expectation, I am likely to find myself in a land of disappointment. Um, so every time I do, I get to practice letting go of that expectation of myself and of others and of situations. Uh, so all of those moments are learning opportunities for me. And um, in doing that, I ask God, God, I do not want this, please take it. And every time I let God take it, I feel this like lift. It's just a relief. Thank you. So I'm going to read this the way it's written. I think perhaps it'll make more sense to you. Okay. Perhaps not. Is there any active action I can take to carry your strength and serenity, say in the form of a quiz? <laughs> Do you understand that? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, the welcoming committee of the uh, Metro New York Intergroup, cre we created a quiz um, for after a survey we did of our um, intergroup and larger area. And it's on the website where people can, 12 questions that allow one to think critically about how welcoming that they are in the rooms of OA for those uh, who might identify or have different life experiences differently. And so um, it was helpful to, uh, it's, oh, it's been an amazing opportunity to work with that committee on getting out of um, seeing things differently from different perspectives. Uh, as I am a woman who identifies as white and is in the homogenous group of the large, um, what OA typically consists of mostly. And so it's important for all of us and for me 
to look uh, critically at how I see the world in order to open up my mind a bit more and my heart. So, you know, I did see that survey. Could you just tell us what the name of your intergroup is? So if people want to see it, they could Google the intergroup and see the survey. Sure. It's, uh, where are we? Now I'm forgetting our email address. Well, even and, the name uh, of your intergroup. New York Metro intergroup. So if you look up New York Metro intergroup and you can find that easily um, on any search engine you like, Overeaters Anonymous, New York Metro intergroup, go take a look at the survey. Sorry, I, I will enable the, uh, the question and, and announcement. So next question, uh, as coming from a recovering bulimic and uh, who is also an exercise bulimic, who has a hard time knowing when to be disciplined with exercise and when to listen to a higher power saying that I, they need rest. How do you handle this uh, balancing between discipline and, and needing rest, uh, when, especially working out five times a week? Does working out that much trigger you into getting too attached to your body? Can you talk to us a little bit? Sure. Um so it's, for me, it's all a matter of where I start. I have to start with rigorous honesty with myself in order to be able to move forward honestly. Um, and so I have to bring people into my life for that. I have to talk with my sponsor. I write in my step work around what that balance looks like. Um, left to my own devices in the morning, if I am to decide whether or not I should exercise based on my wants, then I'm not getting out of bed. So I make a commitment and I show up for it. If I'm in physical pain, I check in with my sponsor and she usually says, physical pain, you don't need to run today. And here I am. That's, I don't need to make any decisions on my own. I need to bring in God into everyone. And the more I bring in God, the more my disease gets pushed out. So God, what do I do? Do I exercise today? God, what do I think about this? And when I'm honest, God says either you have no reason not to, just do it. Or God says, if you're doing it to be hard on yourself and to lose weight, that's not what we're doing here. So for me, I hope that makes sense. But for me, um, my exercise is not connected to my weight. I don't weigh myself for me because I am currently at home 95% of my hours every day, I had to get a scale in order to turn it over to my nutritionist who I meet with every six weeks. And I literally write it down for her, email it and put the scale all the way in the back of the closet of the other of the spare bedroom because it's not my scale. I have to see it as my nutritionist scale. So I can't tell you what I weigh right now. It's, I actually don't care. Thank you. Um, do you have suggestions 
for helping another member in relapse? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, to easy does it is one of those slogans that um, I have understood. I mean, I don't have great experience or terrible experience with relapse. I did relapse four months into the program. Um, but I will say that uh, I work with um, people. I have sponsees who've gone through very deep, long relapses. And um, I do understand that it's easier to stay abstinent than it is to get abstinent. Um, and so it's gotta be a minute at a time. It's gotta be bringing as many people in to stay accountable as possible. Because if I'm relying on my own unsteady willpower, I'm gonna pick up over and over and over. So I, take, I have to take opposite action to begin with because me by myself and my disease can't be trusted to run this show. And if I can't hear my higher power because I'm in a food fog, a former sponsor used to say, abstinence is the tariff I pay to hear my higher power. So if I'm not paying that tariff to hear and I can't trust that I can't hear my higher power yet, that I just have to take opposite action of what I want to do and trust that that's what God wants for me. Thank you. So we're getting lots uh, of questions about um, you, the acronym or the, it's not an acronym, the, the A-E-I-O-U, but there's also a question about the acronym FAITH. Hmm. So can you tell us what the words stand for in that acronym? And oh, sure. It, it was something I read recently was, uh, there's a lot of uh, faith acronyms. And this one I enjoyed, it's, um, it's F-A-I-T-H. So fear and insecurity, question mark, trust him or her or each whatever the H is for you. Yeah. That was great. So what is your advice for a newcomer? Oh, go to meetings and get a sponsor. Number one. Um, those sponsor, a sponsor is somebody who has what you want and is working this program and Sometimes for a newcomer, having what they want might mean a skinny blonde person, right? Fine, just choose somebody. Um, for others, maybe having what they want is a, a sense of serenity and peace and a connection to a higher power. Fine, choose that person. But the practice of, um, doing what that person does. And I understand as a newcomer, I was afraid that a sponsor was gonna tell me what to eat, but that has not been my experience. My sponsor, I eat very differently than my sponsor. And I have sponsees who eat foods that will kill me, um, but it works for them. 
So for today, my sponsor reminds me that my whole job as a sponsor is to just communicate what I do. So all I need to find is a person to tell me what they're doing. And I get to just do that. I put myself aside and I just do that. And so that person will be able to answer all the questions and they'll be able to walk me through the steps and um, keep me, help keep me accountable, remind me how to use the tools. Thank you. We got some questions of people who went out to the uh, oanyc.com.org website and couldn't find the quiz. And so I would say if you scroll down, there's a great icon. I'm actually looking at it now that says New York Metro Intergroup Welcoming Action Quiz. Click here. There we go. Scroll around. You'll find it. Um, uh, just one follow-up on the sponsoring question. Do your sponsees follow the same plan uh, that you do? Uh, food, food plan. Food plan, no. No. Um, I have a nutritionist who uh, works with people in OA, and I work with her strict, like specifically around my plan of eating, and I share it with my sponsor so my sponsor can see when I am not following that plan. Um, but my sponsees, uh, I suggest that they work with a nutritionist because I'm not a nutritionist. Um, there, I've had sponsees who follow an intuitive plan of eating. And, you know, when things don't work out, we talk about what's not working and we make an action plan around that thing. Um, and I have sponsees who weigh and measure. I weigh and measure, but not all my sponsees weigh and measure. Um, yeah, everybody has different plans of eating. Everybody's plan of eating is, is completely specifically for them, just like everybody's higher power is specifically for them. And what works for me to eat might trigger somebody else entirely. Uh, so I don't ask anybody to eat the way I eat. I only ask for um, my sponsees to be rigorously honest with me about what they eat. And I find the best way to do that for me is because a picture is worth a thousand words. I take a picture before I eat my food. I send it to my sponsor. It helps with the portion sizes, especially before I was weighing and measuring. And it helps me be rigorously honest. Whatever's on my plate is what I'm going to eat. Um, and if it's, more than what I would eat. I take a picture when I'm finished eating with whatever's left and that's the end of my meal. Uh, I did hear recently, if my plate is balanced, my life is balanced. And I find that to be true. Terrific. So we've got just four or five minutes left for questions. So I have a favor to ask of those of you, anybody other than Aaron and me, uh, could you please write the words for F-A-I-T-H in the chat, as well as A-E-I-O-U from an inventory standpoint in the chat for all to see. And I do want to ask you, if you've ever had experience in a way of someone or the, it felt like that the fellowship or an individual was not loving and, and maybe... Um, that you know, someone was just kind of 
over communicating with you in a, a not kind and loving way? And if so, could you tell us how you handled that? Oh, yes. I got to stay on my side of the street these days. Um, if somebody comes at me with um, advice, especially unsolicited, um, or, you know, uh, maybe they have, they're not maybe aware of their sense of controlling nature. Um, I just get to love them. Bless them, change me, which means I need to change my judgments of that person. And their approach is actually not my business. I can learn from it to decide that I don't want to act that way towards others and keep an eye on myself that I'm not doing that, use their actions as a mirror for me. Um, but unless they're being, like if they're being inappropriate, I will let them know because I have boundaries today. Um, but I don't have to, I ceased fighting, right? So I don't need to fight with anyone. I, that means I don't need to argue with them either. I can trust that I have a great network in this program. There is no doubt about that. And if I am not reliant on their suggestions for me, then I can take what I like, which is maybe their smile and leave the rest. Thank you so much. Let's see, last question here. So many good questions. Um, it seems that you have a relationship with your higher power now that it's intuitive. Can you tell us how you got there or how you get there? I'd love to. I practice every day on the small things. I practice with things like, God, should I brush my teeth right now? And I hear, if you want somebody to enjoy talking to you, <laughs> then you should brush your teeth. God and I, my higher power kind of has, you know, my, you know, humor. And so we enjoy each other, I'm sure. Um, but I practice, I practice on little things. I have a really big job where there's not a lot of time for downtime and um, sometimes, you know, meetings back to back to back. I have to ask my higher power when to pee. God, do I take a pee break right now or do I wait after this meeting? And, you know, really I have to listen for the answer. And almost every time it's self-care, go pee. Like, yes, love yourself, take care of yourself. Um, and almost always my higher power, like I said, is just surrounding me with love and just a warmth, calming presence because left to my own devices, I go up here. So um, practicing re regrouping with God regularly, I, I, it becomes like this, like it's like, it, um, I've heard the changing the synapses that are fire in my brain, you know, because the first thought is always, oh, I got to eat something. Uh, so the more and more and more I practice the first thought of, God, what do I do about this? Um, the less I rely on getting myself away from food thoughts or, you know, taking a hard right after um, I'm heading towards the fridge or something like that. 
uh, God, what do I do next about this? It's just got to be a constant conversation all day. Thank you so much, Erin. Um, and I'm sorry that we couldn't get to all the questions. I really tried to scroll around and uh, get the uh, bulk of the themes. And I would encourage you that when, um, when you uh, get a chance before we go too far, go into the chat and read the comments. There's some really lovely uh, words that were put there for you. And at this point, I think we're going to start transitioning. Uh, we have to close the Q&A. So Chuck? Yep. Yep. So again, thank you, Erin, for sharing your story. Uh, it's been a wonderful weekend of recovery. And let's uh, end off uh, the, the convention with uh, the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. So I'll take a deep breath and grateful for a great weekend. I put my hand in yours and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We're all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. One day at a time.